And if you want to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Proverbs, we are in Proverbs chapter 9. We are making our way through a series as we look at the book of Proverbs called Wisdom for a Well-Lived Life. And I'd like to just ask you, as you're just finding Proverbs chapter 9, what role does God and his wisdom have in how you live? Uh, There's some pretty startling statistics that are emerging in the United States about absolute apathy when it comes to spiritual things. December 2011, there was an article in the USA Today. They analyzed a surge in a group of Americans called the spiritually apathetic. Now, they're not atheists, but when it comes to any matters of spiritual things, matters of eternity, they just simply shrug. Let me just give you some of the findings. Um, They simply just are not really interested in God, religion, heaven, or just even that kind of ever-trending, like, search for absolute meaning and purpose. And let me give you the statistics. So 44% of respondents told a Baylor University study that they spend no time seeking eternal wisdom. And 19% said it was useless to search for meaning. 46% of respondents told LifeWay Research that they never wonder if they'll go to heaven. And 28% told LifeWay that it's not a major priority in my life to find deeper purpose. One religion professor concluded this, quote, the real dirty secret of religiosity in America is that there are so many people for whom spiritual interest, thinking about ultimate questions, is just minimal. And so when you look at this just absolute indifference, there is a term that has kind of emerged in American culture, and it's called apatheism. It is the combination of apathy and theism. And what you see with apatheism is that it's not that men or women or these boys and girls are really opposed to God. In fact, they're fine. God can exist. That's not a problem for them. They're not like atheists or agnostic. Uh, And furthermore, they they actually like the idea of Jesus, and they like a lot of the things that he taught, especially love. It's just that when it really comes down to it, and perhaps to matters of spiritual importance or God leading, guiding, and being really involved in their lives, it simply doesn't matter to them. And it's as if they just don't care. And that is why the text that we're looking at today, Proverbs chapter 9, is so critically important. Because it is going to address those who are the simple, the naive, the apathetic, those who are just kind of wandering around in life And Proverbs chapter 9 warns us of the grave danger of buying into the ethos and the culture of this world, the foolishness that is just everywhere. On the other hand, it tells us of the tremendous blessings of living and knowing God and walking in his wisdom. And the question I would like to ask you is this, will wisdom be your way of life? Will wisdom be your way of life? And before you just answer like, well, of course, you know, I'm at church. And of course, of course, wisdom is going to be my way of life. You need to take a real close look at Proverbs chapter 9, because that, this chapter is going to help you answer that question. And what you find in Proverbs chapter 9 is you find two invitations. You find an invitation by Lady Wisdom. And wisdom in the book of Proverbs is personified as this beautiful woman. And so you have Lady Wisdom who's making an appeal and an invitation, and you're going to receive that invitation. On the other hand, though, the chapter ends with another woman, Madam Folly, 
And she too has an invitation for your life. And I want you to know they're going to go in completely two different directions. And what the appeal is, is that God is for nine chapters, the first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs, is appealing to you, to you and I to walk in wisdom. And you're like, okay, what is wisdom? Well, let me just give you a definition. Wisdom is skill for living a God-filled life. It's truth applied. It's not just esoteric. It's just not knowledge, but it's actually truth applied to your life. It's the ability to judge correctly between right and wrong, true and false, good and evil, the eternal versus the temporal. And growing in wisdom is central to walking with God. So if you are a believer in Christ and you want to walk with God, you absolutely must pursue wisdom. In fact, you have to have it and live it out. Because you see, the way that we live reveals if it is God and his wisdom that we love. It is all shown by how you and I live. So let's take a look at this first invitation here. In fact, find it in chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. It says, wisdom has built her house, and she has hewn out her seven pillars. So here you see her house. Seven uh, in the Semitic language was pictured completeness or perfection. And so you have this beautiful home. It's got these seven pillars. It's complete, and this home is ready And her house is been prepared. In fact, you see that in verse 2. She has prepared her food, and she has mixed her wine, and she has also set her table. So there's this great meal that is taking place here. And all the preparations that are going into it, she's prepared her food. It has the idea that the meat has been already cut, okay? And so actually having freshly cut meat for the Jewish people, like this would be a delicacy, it would only happen at some great feast. And furthermore, it says that she's mixed her wine. And wine that was drunk by the Jewish people was mixed with like one part wine with eight, up to eight parts water. The idea of just drinking um, undiluted wine was, was considered barbaric. And this wine would also be mixed with spices to enhance its flavor. And do you see that? She has set her table. I'm sure you do this. Uh, when you have like like a major gathering, like it's it's a holiday. Uh, here's a picture of us just this Christmas here. We don't usually eat like this, but I want you to know, like for like a major holiday, we got the family together. Like we're going to bring out all the nice dishes and we're going to make a real special meal. Then we're all going to gather together so that we can feast and just enjoy one another's company. I want you to know that that's what wisdom has done. Lady Wisdom has prepared this amazing feast. It's the feast of knowing the goodness of God. It speaks of intimate communion with God. It's refreshment in our relationship with God. And just like you would prepare for a major feast, so Lady Wisdom has prepared a feast of wisdom for those who will accept her invitation. And you're like, okay, well, like, what what would that even look like? Well, James chapter 3, verse 17 actually tells us what this wisdom from above is. It gives us just a taste. It says, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering and without hypocrisy. You see, this is what it looks like when you apply God's wisdom to your life. These qualities start emanating from your life. They become your experience. And so to feast, 
in the Jewish mind, this was a, a way of actually referring to communion with God. So, for instance, they have the Feast of Israel, right? Or I'm sure you've read Psalm 23. And do you remember that in verse 5, that he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemy? I may be going through great havoc. There are people that are out for my life. They're, they're trying to destroy me, wherever that might be. But I want you to know that knowing God and communion with him, why he lays out and prepares a table, a feast. And that's the idea. And so Lady Wisdom is prepared. And furthermore, notice then, she sends out the invitation. Verse 3, she has sent out her maidens, and she calls from the tops of the heights of the city. And here she has those who are the, the messengers who are inviting people to the wisdom. And, and wisdom, like we saw like in Proverbs chapter 8, she is crying out at the gates of the city. She is kind of hard to miss because she is beckoning people to come to take part in her feast. And so she sends out her messengers. And these messengers, like even today, would be like parents, pastors, and spiritual leaders, and teachers, and people that are teaching the word of God and calling people to walk in God's ways, to know his goodness. So wisdom sends out all of her messengers to come, beckon, invite people to come and taste the goodness of God and to walk in the wisdom of his ways. And notice, here's her message, verses 4 and 5. Whoever is naive, meaning simple, they're just kind of open-minded. They haven't really made up their, their way yet on their course. They're, they're impressionable people, and they're prone to go to stray. Whoever is naive, let him turn in here. To him who lacks understanding, she says, Come, eat of my food, and drink of the wine that I have mixed. Here is this invitation to this deeply personal, life-giving relationship to experience the wisdom of God, to be in his presence, to know his goodness, to walk in his ways as God has designed it. And, and she makes this invitation to come and eat of her food. She's, everything's prepared. But notice this, and I don't want you to miss this because this is absolutely key. Verse 6, forsake your folly and live and proceed in the way of understanding. Forsake has the idea of you got to abandon, you have to depart. You have to depart from the, the simple of, simpleness of your life, the, perhaps the, the wickedness or just the patterns, the well-worn patterns of living life on your own apart from God, just kind of doing whatever you want. Whether you have been just absolutely apathetic or you've kind of got some well-grooved patterns that are moving into a sinful life, you have to forsake your foolishness, which tells us that when you're going to go God's ways, you're going to walk in wisdom, you're going to hear some things that are going to be rather unsettling to you. God will perhaps directly confront character that you manifest, thoughts that you live in, so that you will know his way and the goodness of his ways. That's why he says, forsake your folly, your foolishness, and live. You have to come to recognize, to internalize, to utilize wisdom as your way of life. And there are tremendous benefits if we go that. He says, forsake your folly and live and proceed in the way of understanding. God is offering you life. 
This is life with God, and it'll be experienced in this life, but it also has eternal implications. When we, when we trust God, we go his way, we believe his promises, we're trusting in his Savior, I want you to know that is going to lead to life. You will proceed in the way of understanding the way God has designed this world to work. And so you're like, well, what are the benefits of living in God's wisdom? I want you to know it's going to, God's wisdom will shape your character. It'll positively influence all of your relationships. And your relationship with God experiences fullness. Because you're developing the skill that he intended for you to live. And to give you just some of the multiple benefits of wisdom, you'll have like perception. God's wisdom will give you an accurate understanding to life. You will have prevention. God's wisdom will keep you from doing self-destructive things. Folly, foolishness, you're going to have a lot of destruction in your life. Maybe you're experiencing that like right now. Wisdom will bring about a rescue. God's wisdom will give you peace. That you'll enjoy peace with God and peace with others. It'll also likely lead to prosperity. Now remember, Proverbs are principles. They're general principles given to us by God. They're not promises. But the general way is that if you walk in wisdom, you're generally going to make the most of the resources that you have. It'll also give you poise, kind of that quiet type of confidence that comes from knowing and trusting God. You know, when you encounter like wise people, don't you notice that there's just this like calmness, a Christ-centered confidence that they have in life. They're not easily rattled. They're not just flipping around in the motions like a kite just blowing around in the wind. Uh, They're tethered. And what tethers them is God and his wisdom. And furthermore, they'll have protection. Wisdom will keep you from the corrupt influence of evil ideals and the evil people that, that propel them and are proponents of them in society. A culture that is going completely away from God I want you to know that wisdom will actually help you to see very clearly what's going on and to show you the way to walk. It'll also keep you, like we saw last week, from the severe consequences of immorality. These great temptations that every one of us face on a regular basis, I want you to know the book of Proverbs spends a lot of time talking about morality, sexual morality, and how to make the right decisions and the grave consequences of going the wrong way. And furthermore, wisdom will give you prudence. It'll help you to exercise caution when caution needs to be exercised. You won't just be blindly plowing through life. You'll be uh, assessing like, you know what? I'm pretty sure that's going to lead to some pretty bad consequences. This is not what God would have for my life. Whether it be from morality or marriage, parenting or personal maturity, I want you to know wisdom offers you life. And understanding. In fact, Proverbs 8, 17, wisdom cries out and she says, I love those who love me, and those who diligently seek me will find me. So wisdom has her invitation, and she's presenting it to you right now to walk in her ways into the goodness of God and life with him. But how do you know, like, how could you actually assess if you really have chosen wisdom as your way of life? Is there a way to figure that out? Well, actually, that's what you find in verses 7 through 12. You have, between these two invitations, you have like this three criteria that will help you and I evaluate 
to understand whether or not wisdom is really going to be our way of life. And I'm going to frame these by way of like three questions. But the first one is this. If you want to figure out like, is the wisdom your way of life? Well, answer this question. How do you respond to correction? So take a look, beginning in verse 7. He who corrects a scoffer gets dishonor for himself, and he who reproves a wicked man gets insults for himself. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. The scoffer is the unteachable person. They're so full of themselves. They're, they're contemptuous. They're, they're just not teachable. And the root of their trouble is pride. That's at the heart of it. And so what happens is the scoffer really is kind of the worst kind of fool because they're going in the wrong direction and people that love them are trying to help them saying like, you're headed toward disaster, but the scoffer, uh-uh. You discuss things, you try to address heart issues, direction in their life, and this is how they'll respond. They, they, they'll, be, they'll deflect. They're like, well, what about this? Or you're the problem. They'll distract. They'll like move into other directions. Or furthermore, if that's not working, they'll just downright attack you. That's what happens. A scoffer is not teachable. A scoffer does not take responsibility for their actions. It's always someone else. You're the problem. You're the one that's making this happen to me. They never take responsibility. And furthermore, they're really good at blaming others. That's why the scoffer is kind of like the worst kind of fool. And so a scoffer, you try to help them and address them, they hate you. On the other hand, did you notice this? Uh, He says, verse 8, do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Okay? That's what happens inside a fool. Someone offers help and correction. (laughs) You keep that up, I'm going to hate you. And there's all sorts of drama that comes with that. But on the other hand, reprove a wise man. Do you see that, verse 8? And he will love you. You see, uh, a wise person, when you, like, point out something to them, when the word of God brings something to clarity, what happens is a wise person, like, man, you love me. You love me enough to tell me the truth. And that's what happens. So let me just ask you, how do you respond when people who are truly caring about you try to correct you? Like a parent, teacher, employer, friend, a spiritual leader. Well, how do you respond? I want you to give an honest assessment. What is that really like? How do you respond? Are you thankful, grateful? Boy, thank you for loving me. Or do you bow up like, oh, no, I'll show you who you're messing with. That'll help you really answer if wisdom will be your way of life. It really has far more to do with your attitude and approach than it does with your intelligence. Uh, In July of 2006, there was a world-famous geneticist, William French Anderson. Brilliant. Brilliant man. But he was convicted of child molestation charges. In his press conference, his attorney made this quote. Nothing about having a 176 IQ means you have good judgment. You may be highly intelligent, but that does not mean that you are wise. You see, a wise person receives correction. In fact, they're like, you love me. It's just like the text says, reprove a wise man and he will love you. Uh, Reprove has the idea of like giving like a verbal correction. They'll love you. But you see, humility leads to teachability. The wise want the truth. 
Humility leads to teachability. So is wisdom going to be your way of life? Well, how do you respond to correction? The second one is how do you respond to counsel? Take a look at verse 9. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will, and he will be still wiser. You teach a righteous man, and he'll increase in his learning. So here you see, like, how do you respond to counsel? To the, to the wise, when the wise hear godly instruction, when they feed upon the word, when they're in a Bible study and they're learning truth, when they hear biblical messages that are engaging them with God's truth, man, wise people, man, they just keep building upon that. That's because wise men and women have what is called a growth mindset. They're always learning and growing. They learn from their mistakes. They learn when good things are being taught. They have, they're a continuous improvement individual. They don't like, well, I'll do that until I get through college and then I'm going to give up. No, no. It is a way of life. As long as they are walking and breathing, they're still learning and they're taking it in. And so let me just ask you, how do you respond to counsel? Wise counsel. Whether you get it from a parent or a grandparent or maybe there's a teacher or a coach, your, your uh, Bible study leader, your pastor, how, how do you respond to that? And you know, if you feel like, you know, I'm not really actually very hungry for wisdom at all. I'm not interested in godly counsel. That tells you you're probably starving for it. It tells you that what you're feeding your soul is the fare that this world and, it's, and the culture is giving you. And it's just a part of your life. And, you, and that's where you find understanding. That shapes your perception. That helps you understand right and wrong. That's the things that really shape what you value and is really guiding your priorities. If you're not interested in God's wisdom, it's likely because you're starving from it. Is wisdom going to be your way of life? Well, how do you respond to counsel? And then the third is how do you respond to the creator? And this really is the theme of the book of Proverbs. It's found in verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The fear of the Lord, it is a reverential awe. It's a recognition that God is absolutely all-powerful. In fact, it is dangerous not to be trusting and fearing and walking the Lord. That is putting you in the path of direct confrontation with the living God. It's not a, just a cowering fear like you just hate God or, you know, like, what? It, but it's the idea that, whoa, he is all-powerful. And he is so good and he is so great. And it fills me with such awe that I want to walk in his ways. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom because the fear of the Lord is humility. And humility leads to teachability. God, teach me your ways. And so the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One. The more you know about God and who he really is, that leads to understanding in your life because you want to learn and walk in his ways. In fact, he says, notice what he says in verse 11. For by me, your days will be multiplied and years of life will be added to you. God gives wisdom, skill for living. Knowledge is understanding how life really works according to the designer. And skill is living actually out the life that God intended. And what will happen is God will give you life to your years 
and years to your life. Because the fear of the Lord, why it leads to faith in Christ. That's what, remember we saw that in Colossians chapter 2, verse 3? It's in Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The fear of the Lord leads to faith in Christ. And Christ is the embodiment of God's wisdom. And so it's our relationship with Christ that fuels, that guides, that empowers, and we're walking in his ways, and we're very interested in his word because his word is what gives us life and it directs our path. And furthermore, he says in verse 12, if you are wise, you're wise for yourself. You're the one who will benefit, and if you scoff, you alone will bear it. You see, what happens is relationship with the living God, it leads to a desire to receive his truth. And I I saw this after I placed my faith in Christ back in my collegiate years. I there were some major changes that took place. And one of those was like, I actually really wanted to learn. I valued what, what does it actually mean to walk in the truth? But it was more than just, I need good counsel. One of the things that I found rather surprising, and I can think of instances of, of one of my disciples back in college, Brett Gilchrist, uh, who was heading up Campus Crusade for Christ, is that when, when I messed up, when I did things, uh, whether in, as, a, as a young leader that they probably gave me too many responsibilities too soon, or in relationships, I would actually talk with these over things with Brett, and I would invite him, I, I need you to correct me. I, 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 I messed up here. I want to fully understand it. This isn't going to be easy for me. But I would invite him to correct me. I was even surprised, like, why would I do that? It was only through reading the book of Proverbs that helped me understand, like, That's God trying to bring about wisdom in my life. It's like Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and understanding. So we will either immerse ourselves in God and his wisdom, or we're going to just buy into the foolishness of this culture. And you're like, well, how do you just gain wisdom? If the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, how do you gain this wisdom? God has given us his wisdom in this book. He is giving you the invitation, even at this very present moment, please take wisdom, walk in God's ways, know his goodness, his grace. It's a banquet full of joy, help in all of our problems. And we've got them, right? But the question is, will you receive it? And the answer to those three questions How do you respond to correction? How do you respond to counsel? And how do you respond to the creator? That will tell you whether or not you are wise and walking in wisdom or you are a fool because you hear the truth, you hear the call, but you're going your own way. Well, I told you there are two invitations, right? There's Lady Wisdom. She's got a feast. She sent out her maidens. Everything is prepared. Please come, just enjoy the banquet. But there's another invitation. I want you to know, it's going out super loud, very clear. It's Madame Folly. And there we see her, verse 13. The woman of folly is boisterous. She is naive. And she knows nothing. And so here we have Madame Folly. She's like the adulteress in chapter 7, which is just a sobering chapter when you read it. 
And notice how she's described. She's described as folly, foolishness, but it really also has the idea of scandalous, that she's hopelessly trapped in sin because that's what happens to fools, and she is the proponent of it. She's the embodiment of foolishness, scandalous, trapped in sin. Furthermore, she's boisterous. Do you see that? She's loud. She's rough. She's tumultuous. She's unrestrained, and she is naive. She's undisciplined. And what she wants to do is, is form people into foolishness. She knows, like the text says, nothing. It emphasizes the emptiness of her character. I want you to know that Madame Folly is alluring and very attractive. Please don't picture Madame Folly as like, oh, just this like really uh, hard to even look at kind of individual. Oh, no, no. Madame Folly, it's beauty. At least it sure seems that way. She is enticing and inviting. And notice, she's, she's also, she's, she's at work. She's also got a call that's going out. Unlike Lady Wisdom, who has prepared this just sumptuous feast, uh, well, her fare is a little different. She's going to go in a little different direction. Look at verse 14. She doesn't send out her, her emissaries and her representative. No, she sits at the doorway of her house on the seat by the high places of the city where all the action is, where all the people are. So she sits. She's bellering and beckoning. She's got an invitation. She is calling out to those, verse 15, who pass by, who are making their paths straight. Whether they're incidentally or just intentionally trying to make their path straight, it doesn't matter. She's calling out. She's beckoning. She's got an invitation. And you're like, well, what, what is she actually calling them out? What does she want them to do? Verse 16, she says, whoever is naive, you're simple, you're not sure, you're trying to figure out life, you're not what, you know, not what to do, you're a little apathetic, <laughs> you are, like the text says, are you naive to those, those who are passed by? Whoever is naive, is that you? <gasps> she says, let him turn and hear. And to him who lacks understanding, she's got an invitation. Do you, you lack understanding? You're not really sure what to do with your life or where to go or how it all works out? Just, just not sure whether you're in your teenage years, 20s, 30s, 60s, 70s. You're just not sure. She says, please, please, I've got everything you need. Please accept my invitation. What is her message? Her message is simply this. Stolen water, verse 17, is sweet. And bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Far from some sensuous meal, I mean, like bread and water. But there's, there's more that's going on here. You see what she's doing. She is promoting the attractiveness of what is forbidden. Stolen water, in Proverbs chapter 5, speaks of like sexual relationships. And it's drinking of water has the idea of being involved in, in that scenario with a, another man's wife, whether present or future. You are sexually immoral. And this bread eaten in secret uh, speaks of uh, unethical actions or criminal conspiracies. Like you see, like in Proverbs chapter 4, you see this as kind of the culmination of some of the themes. It's the bread of wickedness. She's saying, hey, I have something for you. And the allurement is 
is what is forbidden. Forbidden. It's like there's something about humanity that we are drawn to things that are wrong. There is a, when there is a prohibition that is goes up, what it does, it kind of stirs up a desire like for that, right? And we know that it's wrong, but it's awfully enticing, right? And it's just part, what Madame Folly is doing is she's appealing to our depraved humanity. And so she lays it all out there. Absolutely, you can have these get-rich-quick schemes. It doesn't matter if you cut corners or cut people down. And sexual immorality in all of its different forms, whatever you might like, I want you to know it's widely available. And it's alluring, and it's attractive. And frankly, it captures almost everyone's attention. People can't break away from it. In fact, they'll spend hours and hours, and they'll pursue it. And, and it's like, it's all part of this great invitation of Madame Folly. But what they don't realize, despite the fact that wickedness has risk and danger, there's something hypnotic and intoxicating about this appeal, what they don't realize is its end. Look at verse 18. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. She never tells them the end. That's how sin works. That's how wickedness works. It never tells you the end. It's always just very short term. Just think about what's happening right now, right here. Just don't think about anything else. Just how good this would be. You deserve it. You want it, right? The end, though, is death. The wages of sin is death. So whose invitation are you regularly receiving? Are you walking in wisdom or are you following foolishness? These are the daily decisions that you and I make, and there are two calls that are beckoning out. What are going to be your priorities? Your, what is your relationships going to look like? Your marriage, your friendships, your parenting, kids. How are you going to treat your parents? Are you going to go their way, or are you going to do it on your own? Are you going to be lazy? How will you invest your time? What will you do with your finances? I want you to know decisions determine destiny. Your decisions will determine your destiny. It's see, Madame Folly is kind of like the sirens of Greek mythology. Remember Greek mythology? The sirens are like these, these beautiful, like human woman-like figures, and they're beautiful, and they have these beautiful voices, and they make beautiful music. And what would happen in Greek mythology is the sailors, they're like in their little ships, and they're like, oh, I just have to go over there. I'm so allured to it. But of course, when they, when they went to the sirens, they ran into these reefs, and their ships were wrecked. They made a shipwreck of their life. That's what had them, happens with Madame Folly. She's alluring. She's attractive. Don't undersell her. She looks beautiful, but she is wicked and she'll destroy you and she's very good at what she does you know wisdom available does not mean wisdom applied uh, i do a lot of study in working and developing messages and thinking through the texts and really want to understand uh, i've read a, a good book a commentary on the book of proverbs it was written by a, a scholar and a pastor just one problem sometime after he wrote that book he bought into adultery. It devastated his family. It was extremely difficult for his church. This man has now been restored to serving the Lord, but uh, not as a pastor. Have you and I, 
Have we all maybe just bought into Madame Pauly's message at different times? I think we have. I think we've all been allured and we've made all very painful and difficult decisions, created perhaps a lot of havoc in our life, maybe even presently. Is there any hope? I want you to know the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And you need to know that Jesus is the feast of wisdom. Jesus is the feast of wisdom. In John chapter 6, verses 47 and 48, Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. You want to feast in the wisdom of God? You want to know what grace, forgiveness, hope, eternity, the skill for living? You want to, I want you to know it's all found in trusting Jesus. He'll guide your choices. He'll govern and direct your character. And he'll give you the power to do what he's asked so that you and I will walk in his ways. When we go with Jesus, like he rejoices over us because we're his people walking in his ways. And I'll just say that wise people who regularly feast with wisdom do the following. They establish patterns that promote growth. They have priorities and principles that guide them. And they seek God's wisdom when making bigger decisions. They focus on God. They look for wisdom. They don't just make feeling-based decisions. There's a difference between living and living well, and the difference is Christ and walking in his wisdom. So whose invitation are you receiving? Both Lady Wisdom and Madame Folly are calling after you. I will tell you this. The way that you live, it will actually show whether it's God and his wisdom that you love. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your words, especially Proverbs chapter 9. It paints it with such clarity. In fact, you help us to really understand we're really walking with you and in your wisdom. For someone who is here today who's never truly trusted in Christ, in fact, foolishness and sin just envelop them, would they just right now just say, God, I turn from myself and my sin, and today I place my faith in Jesus, the feast of wisdom. I need forgiveness. I need you. And God, for all of us who do know you, Lord, help us to walk in your ways, to know your joy, to truly develop patterns of gaining wisdom from you to live it, to love it, and to share it with others. And so, God, we love you, and we pray you. Pray all these things in Jesus' name.